I'm pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Okay, so I'm in the middle of talking all about Dragons of Tarkir. So last we left, I'd gotten up to O. So today I'm going to talk about Ojitai's Command. So it's another one of the command cycles. So it's two W blue, uh, two white blue, so four mana, one of which is white, one blue. It's an instant, and you can choose to do two of the following. You can return a creature of a converted mana cost of two or less um, from the battlefield, I'm sorry, from the graveyard to the battlefield. You can gain four life, you can counter target spell, or you can draw a card. So this one is a very functional card. Um, the fact that it lets you counter a spell makes this particularly good in a control deck, and white blue is good at doing control. Um, and it just has a lot of flexibility. Do you want to counter a spell and draw a card? You get to be, uh, I was to say dismissed, but we just remade the card. Um, I think kind of send. Um, you can uh, counter a spell and gain life. You can reanimate something. You can gain life and draw a card. There's lots of choices, and uh, it was suited to go pretty well in a control-ish white-blue deck. So, um, Once again, the first two abilities are the white abilities. Returning a small creature from a graveyard to the battlefield and gaining four life, that's a white ability. Countering a spell and drawing a card are both blue abilities, so you get to do white-blue things. Next, Pitiless Horde. Okay, Pitiless Horde is two and a black, three mana total, one of which is black, for a 5-3 Orc Berserker. Uh, it has an upkeep cost, which means every upkeep you have to lose two, or not a cost, I guess, it doesn't go away. Every upkeep you lose two life, so it, just, it has a, uh, something that affects you every turn. And it has dash two black black. Okay, this is a very cool dash creature. This is an example of a dash creature in which its dash cost is more expensive than its um, normal cost. So normally I can play it for three mana, you know, one, one of which has to be black. Or I can dash it for four mana, two of which have to be black. But why would I want to dash a card? And the answer is there's a very harsh upkeep. You have to pay two life. You lose two life every upkeep. So, if you dash the creature, then it's not around for the upkeep. But it requires you to keep playing it to keep it around. And if you ever want to not pay the dash cost, then you start incurring the, the cost of the upkeep. Um, so it's a clever little card. Um, and it's a good example of... Um, one of the things when you first find a mechanic is, there's the obvious low-hanging fruit. I mean, the obvious low-hanging fruit with dash was, I'm a creature, uh, I'm slightly cheaper with dash, um... But the idea is, do I want to earlier come in and be able to attack right away, but, you know, or, or I want to have some permanence? And maybe before I can play it permanently, I play it cheaper just to get in some damage if I don't have another thing to do. Um, but as you start playing around with the mechanic, it's like, oh, well now we can start doing things like it has an enter the battlefield cost. Maybe your dash cost will be a little more expensive because you want to repeat the, the enter the battlefield cost. This card is a good example of, oh, well, maybe there's a downside, and you want to circumvent the downside by using dash. Um, it's a good example of how one of the neat things about doing card design is that you can take a basic premise and find a lot of different ways to make use of it. Um, and so this is one of the ways that I thought was pretty clever was um, not the positive space of wanting to repeat it because you want to get something, but the idea of I avoid something. And that was pretty cool. Okay, next, Pristine Skywise. That it costs four white-blue for a 6-4 dragon. It is flying... Um, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you can untap it, and it gains color from the uh, it gains protection from the color of your choice. Um, so once again, this is a white-blue dragon. Uh, it goes in a more controlless deck, and its ability is a protective ability. 
So it has a nine creature. That's something that the Just Guy slash Ojitai carry all the way through, is that they very much care about um, non-creature spells. And this spell is kind of cool. It's a 6-4. So basically what it can do is it allows you to both untap it and gain protection. Well, you can use it offensively um, to sort of give it vigilance and to make it harder to block because you have protection. You can't be blocked by creatures of that color. Or, and this is the way it's probably used more often, it can be used defensively, which means that it can be... um, you know, you can use it to block. That I untap it, I can block something, then clearly I'm giving protection from the color that I blocked. Um, anyway, well, like I said, the ongoing challenge of Dragon Star Kid was finding different dragons, giving them different feels, and making sure different color combinations would go in different decks and do different things. Um, so this is a good example of, it requires a lot of non-creature spells. So, like, you can't just go in any deck, but in the white-blue deck that already has this sort of theme, it can reinforce that theme. And... It's also the kind of card that you don't need a lot of creatures in this deck. This is the finishing creature. So if you can get this creature out and have a bunch of spells to protect it in your hand, this creature can go the distance. Okay, next, Profound Journey. Profound Journey is a sorcery. costs 7 mana, 5 white-white. Um, return target permanent from the graveyard to the battlefield. Rebound. So this card is interesting. Every once in a while what happens is uh, I'll, I'll get chatted by uh, the developers across, across the way. because uh, The way we sit in the pit is the designers sit together and then right across the way is the developers sit together. So we can, um, like literally, my desk is butted up against Eric Lauer's desk. I'm the head designer, he's the head developer. Um, so whenever developers have questions, they always come to me. And a very common question they'll ask me is color pie things. Um, so the, the big question about this card is, can, can white get back anything from the graveyard? And so we sort of went through, well, actually, the question was, what color can get back anything from the graveyard? So we sort of examined it. We said, okay, white can get back um, creatures from the graveyard. More often, it gets back tiny creatures, but it has gotten back larger creatures before. We've definitely had angels and things that have gotten back creatures. Um, it can get back enchantments. It can get back artifacts. Uh, it doesn't normally get back land, although land is probably the least useful thing with this, so although technically you can get back land, it's not something you do very often. Um, and then Planeswalker, we hadn't really defined what, what reanimates the Planeswalker, so the question was, could this do it? I'm like, well, if any color is going to do it, mm, I guess white makes the most sense. It's the one that already can do, you know, three of the five things needed to do. Um, and, okay, I guess, I mean... The big question is whether, once you make a card like this, is did this define reanimating a Planeswalker? Is that now a white thing? Or it's like, well, we let white of this one card, and later on, if we make a clean reanimate spell, maybe we put that in a different color. I'm not sure. I, I felt it was okay in white for this particular card. Um, it is pushing things a little bit. I mean, it's a rare card. and um, I mean, it, it's what I call bending the color. It's not really breaking it, but it, it is definitely stretching things a little. Um, but it's a pretty cool card. Okay, Quarcy Deceiver. So Quarcy Deceiver costs one and a blue, two mana total, one of which is blue. It's a 0-4 and Naga Wizard. Uh, you tap to add one colorless, ma- or one, um, yeah, one colorless mana, uh, and you can spend it... Um, you can use that mana to play a face-down creature, to play the mana cost to turn a face-down creature face-up, or to pay a morph cost. So some people are confused by those last two. Aren't those the same thing? Isn't a morph cost something that turns things face-up? And the answer it is, but also um, we wanted to cover Manifest, which also turns face cards face up. So we wanted to be clear that you could turn Manifest cards face up. Um, so 
Uh, and then we were unclear whether or not if we just said that, it would be clear that that meant more, so we, we listed them all out. Um, so essentially the idea is, one of the things we let Blue do is Blue has access to colorless mana that is used for very specific things, usually in relationship with artifacts. That's the most common place we give Blue colorless, access to colorless mana. Um, but eh, colorless things, we're like, okay, you know, Blue messes around in the colorless space. Okay, yeah, we let it do artifacts in, in a set in which there's a colorless matters theme. Um, as far as mana, because of the face down morph creatures, like, oh, okay, we'll let blue do that. Um, a lot of people don't, uh, it's funny, a lot of people don't think of blue as, as producing mana, but we do let it produce colorless mana. It's something that we don't do all the time, because we kind of need to set that color, access to colorless mana means something, so usually it shows up more often in artifact sets or you know, colorless sets, um, but it is something we let them do. Also, Naga, by the way, while I'm talking about a Naga, so one of the big complaints we got from Naga was, why wasn't it a snake? Nagas are snakes. I have a snake tribal. I have magic is all these characters that, all these cards that care about snakes. Why wasn't it snake? So one of the things in general that um, we tend to do is we try to figure out whether it makes more sense to use the generic pre-existing magic word or whether it's evocative enough that we want a new word. Um, so it came up a lot. Like, for example, Minotaur is a similar thing. Do we use, like, you know, cow warrior? Or do we just say Minotaur? Um, we tend to err toward the word when we think the word itself has some meaning. Um, but I think Naga got into interesting space that we hadn't really thought about before, which is Naga's a pretty cool word, but there's not a lot of cow tribal. Um, I mean, I, I guess Magic has had a few cows, especially in, in the unsets, but um, there's not a lot of cards that care about cowness, if you will. Where there's a quite, there actually had a number of cards that care about snake. And so, um, we took something that was a snake, and there's a lot of people that, for example, I know have, like, commander snake decks and things, and, and I think the problem here was Naga is a cool word, but snakes do mean something, and so I think in the future, something for us to think about, which is, when choosing the words, how often does that word matter? Um, I will say the more powerful the word is, the more evocative the word is, the more likely we're, we're going to choose the word. Um, I definitely, I mean, there was some talk of, should it be Minotaur, should it be Cow, and I'm like, it should be Minotaur. Minotaurs are, are you know, technically, technically, technically it's a bull man, whatever, but, you know, Cow Warrior just doesn't sound as cool as Minotaur Warrior. So, anyway, um, it's possible with Naga we went the wrong way. I, I, uh, I, I get a lot of complaints about it, and I, I see what people are saying is, hey, 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 you have Snake Tribal, and there's a lot of Snake Tribal cards, and, you know, it's... A lot of the colors are in the right place to help you with the snake tribal. Why? Why couldn't it be snakes? So, anyway, uh, that is my Naga talk. Okay, next. Rakshasa, Gravecaller. Uh, four and a black for a 3-6 cat demon. Uh, it has exploit, and if you exploit, you put two two, two zombie tokens on, into the battlefield. Uh, they're black. Um, so the interesting thing about this is you have to sacrifice a creature with exploit, but it gets to become... Uh, you get two two zombies, so it's really a no-brainer. If you have anything that's smaller than a two two or smaller, I'm just upgrading. I mean, I guess the two two can have abilities, but assuming you don't have abilities you care about, anything two two or smaller, you just get to upgrade into not just a replacement two two, but another two two. And even if you have like a three three, sometimes you want two two twos instead of a three three. Not always, but sometimes you do. Well. So anyway, this is this is an interesting card. This is definitely an exploit card that makes it a little easier to exploit things. Um, one of the things in general that we were worried about exploit is exploit is a very spiky mechanic in that you have to be willing to sacrifice a creature to gain something. And we know a lot of 
players not particularly fond of sacrificing things. I, I don't want to lose my stuff. I like my stuff. Um, now, the nice thing about Exploit is you're getting something for the sacrifice. So hopefully it's like, okay, well, you're losing a creature, but you're gaining something. Um, this is the kind of card we made for the players that are a little more hesitant to use Exploit. Because this card says, look, I'm going, to re- I'm going to replace the thing you sacrificed. And, and, I'm going to give you another creature. So if you have like a 1-1 one, one you sacrifice, that 1-1 one, one becomes a 2-2. Two, two, that seems good. And, hey, I'll give you another 2-2. Two, two. So this is a card with Exploit that really sort of makes you feel not so bad about second creature because you're gaining more creatures. Um, also, another funny story is, so, Rakshasa. Um, I had a hard time saying that, uh, that, that the cat demons. Um, it is a hard word to say. Uh, with, with over 16 months working on the set, I finally got to the point where I was able to say it without messing it up most of the time. Um, but uh, in the team, they thought it was really funny that I cannot say the word. And so they would design, uh, playtest names would include it all the time. Even on cards that weren't necessarily cat demons. Uh, you know, Rakshasa's Bane or whatever. You know, they, they would just use it whenever they could to try to get me to say it because they thought it was funny how hard, I, how hard a time I had saying it. Um, in fact, I think there's a video when I was doing Inside R&D for um, Content Tarkir where I was messing it up during the video and I think, I think they showed it. Um, I think they showed me messing up a bunch of times. Anyway, so some of the, the games we play in R&D. Okay, next. Revealing Wind. It's a green instant. Costs two and a green, so three mana total, one of which is green. Uh, you prevent all creature damage, uh, so it's a fog. And then you get a look at any face-down attacking or blocking creature. Um, so one of the things we find about doing morph is some players really um, have fun sort of exploring morph and trying to figure it out and when do they play it and how much mana do they have up. Other players, like, it just, they don't know, and they, they don't feel that they can figure it out. And they're happier if we could just give them some tools to peek. So what we tend to do is we put the tools on cards that are a little weaker. Um, it's more fun for, like, sort of high-level, limited play if you're trying to figure out what's going on instead of just easily being able to look. So the cards we make where you can look tend to be a little, a slightly on the weaker side just because we know there's players that want to look, but the players that want to look and not figure it out tend to be a little less experienced. So um, to, to allow the sort of higher-end player in Limited to figure it out, we don't give them easy spells to do that. There's good examples like Fog, 3-mana Fog, not the greatest spell. Um, but Fog is very popular with a less experienced player, and this is kind of like, to them, it's like, oh, I get a, I get a Fog, I love Fogs, and, oh, I get to see what the things are. Okay, okay, I, yeah, and, and they'll put it in their deck. One of the things that's important, by the way, I should stress, I, I talk about this all the time, but is you have to design the game for lots of different kinds of players. There is a kind of player who this card is very comforting for, that they, they're excited to see this card, they want to play this card, and that just because this card is not the optimal play from a high-level constructed... I'm sorry, a high-level... Um, you know, if you're trying to win the highest percentage of games possible. But the point is, that's not how everybody plays. Everybody's not trying to maximize every choice... They're trying to have fun and play a game and enjoy themselves, and that we don't need to make every card for the highest level tournament player. Not that we can anyway, but there's also players that are just like, you know what, I like this effect. It makes me happy. That's okay. You know, part of designing a game is not optimizing all the time. It, I mean, what you're trying to do is make every player have an experience that they enjoy. Some players enjoy maximizing and trying to do the best they can do and winning everything. That, that's the spikes of the world. But, but that's not every player. And so you don't need to maximize every card for the spikes in your game. You know, not every player is trying to shave the edge of everything. And 
making some cards that players will enjoy playing, even if it's not the right play from an optimal standpoint. That doesn't matter. It's the right play for them. Are they having fun? You know, one of the things to remember is winning is not the goal of the game. I mean, it's the goal as a goal. But um, the, the, the goal for a game designer is to make a game that your, your players enjoy playing. And that them winning is not key necessarily to them enjoying it. So part of what you want to do is make sure you are making things that enhance the experience for them. Um, and it's very easy to fall in the trap of thinking of, oh, well, players play a certain way, so I need make, I, I make all the cards for that style of player. And the answer is no. Magic has many w- ways to play and many kinds of players who play it. And so our job is not to keep making the same thing time and time again. Our job is to make different things that make different kinds of players happy. You know, and this is a perfect card of which it'll get poo-pooed. People reviewing the set will say it's a bad card, you shouldn't play it. But there are a lot of players in which this is an awesome card for them. It makes them happy. It, it takes some tension they have. It relieves the tension. And it helps them play the game the way they want to play it. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's an awesome thing. If you want to make a game, if you want to make a popular game, you need to make sure that all different styles of player are able to play the game the way they want to play the game, not the way you want them to play the game. Okay. Next, Risen Executioner. Two black black for a 4-3 zombie warrior. It can't block. Other zombies you control get plus one, plus one. And you may cast this card from your... You may cast a Risen Executioner from your graveyard, but you have to pay one extra for every creature card in your graveyard. Um... So the idea of this card is a couple things. One is it's a a zombie um, helper. It makes sure your zombie's bigger, zombie lord. Um, But also, it's the kind of card that says, okay, I want to play this, but I don't want to have a lot of creature cards in my graveyard. And so the answer is, there's a bunch of different ways with zombies to eat things out of the graveyard. Um, Also, remember, the um, Silmgar clan plays with the Sultai clan, so you have access to Del which also is a very easy way to get creature cards out of your graveyard. Um, so anyway, this definitely is a card that's meant for the Silmgar clan. You can mix it in, obviously, with the Sultai clan. Um, it helps your zombies, but it requires a, a little bit of, of maneuvering around because to maximize this card, you need to make sure you have ways to get rid of your graveyard. But there's a bunch of ways to do that. There's even ways to do that that work with a zombie deck. So this does click into something that's already pre-existing. Next, Ruthless Deathfang. Four blue-black for a 4-4 dra- four, four dragon. So it is a Sylvan dragon, blue-black. Uh, so six mana, one blue, one black, including one blue and one black. Um, six total. Flying. Uh, whenever you sack a creature, target opponent sacks a creature. Okay, so one of the things we wanted to do is made sure we made dragons in each color that rewarded you for the style of play you're playing. Well, one of the things blue-black, its mechanic, is exploit. So it is sacrificing a lot of creatures for advantage. Well, this card says, hey... If I'm sacking creatures already, why don't I take extra advantage of that? So this card does, it says, okay, whenever I'm sacking a creature, and I have a deck where I'm going to sack creatures, my opponent has to sack a creature. Um, so this becomes a creature kill spell, but only a creature kill spell when your deck is doing the thing that Blue Black wants you to do, which is sacking a lot of things yourself. Next, Salt Road Ambushers. It's three and a green, so four mana total, one of which is green, for a 3-3 Hound Warrior. Um, it's our, one of our dog people. Uh, uh, another, whenever, whenever another permanent turns face up, if it's a creature, it gets two plus one plus one counters. Uh, and it's got a megamorph of three green green. So this is a three three creature that you can megamorph into being a four four creature. Um, and then once, in fa- once, once it's face up, 
it rewards other cards. So I talked about how uh, we made a blue-green deck that really rewards you for morph. Uh, and this is definitely an example of that, of a card that says, hey, play a lot of morph cards in your deck. I'll reward you. Um, the reason it says, by the way, creature, is there are ways to turn things face up um, that aren't creatures. Um, for example, back in Future Sight, we made a few um, cards that were face-down cards that have morph that weren't creatures. And so um, I, I think there's a bunch of other ways to get things face-down that aren't creatures. So this just sort of em- emphasizes that if it's a creature, it gets two plus one plus one counters. Um, this also, by the way, in, interestingly, it plays well in a morph deck. It also plays nicely. Um, there's cards in um, in uh, Dromaka or um, uh, Abzan that reward you for having plus one plus one counters. So this card also allows you to sort of uh, crisscross those strategies where you could have cards that care about plus one plus one counters and play with more things that when they turn or more for mega more for manifest that when they turn face up they can get counters and so it allows you to take two different strategies and sort of link them together um, we've got these linking cards that are pretty important where you say oh I have two strategies so what I'm going to do is make sure that my two strategies can interlink with each other so if I play this card it can take strategy A and strategy B and now both of them go in the same deck okay next Salt Road Quartermasters two and a green for a 1-1 one, one human soldier and enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters, so it's really a 3-3. Three, three. Um, for two and a green, you can remove a plus one plus one counter to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. Hey, it's a spike! Uh, so spikes were this card that I made. Uh, there was one of them in Tempest and most of them were in Stronghold. They were creatures that came into play with plus one plus one counters and then you could spend mana to move them to other creatures. Uh, spikes were a little bit cheaper to move, but that ability definitely was a little on the strong side. So it's a spike! It's not called a spike. Um, it's not spike creature type. But basically, it comes with plus one plus one counters, and it can move them. Now, this particular card doesn't have tons. It only gets two plus one plus one counters. Um, but there's a lot of ways in the set, um, especially with Bolster, by the way. One of the neat things about this card is you can move the counters. It becomes a 1-1, one, one, and then you can... It's, it's the lowest toughness creature. You get a Bolster onto it. Um, so this is kind of cool. Um, did I say lowest toughness? It's Bolster, lowest power, lowest toughness. I'm blinking right now. It's one or the other. But if it's a 1-1, one, one, it's both, so... Um, ah, anyway, I'm forgetting. Um, next, Sarkin Unbroken. Two green, blue, red. So it's five mana, one of which is green, one of which is blue, one of which is red. It's a Planeswalker, obviously. So plus one, you get to draw a card and add one mana of any color to your mana pool. For minus two loyal. Oh, I didn't write what is... I have a bad habit of not writing starting loyalties when I write Planeswalkers. I don't remember starting loyalties. I think... Uh, he costs five. He's got a minus eight loyalty... I'm guessing he's four or five. I'm sorry. I have a bad habit of not writing loyalty down. Uh, for, anyway, my, uh, plus one draw card, add one mana of any color. Minus two, you get a four four red dragon token with flying. Minus eight, you can search your library for any number of dragons and put them onto the battlefield. Um, so the idea essentially is he's, a, he's king of the dragons. So one of the things we knew about Sarkin was we knew we wanted a before and after. That he's going to arrive there, he's going to go back in time, and he's going to radically change things. Um, we decided to start him as a monocolor dry, uh, monocolor planeswalker. We wanted to get a sense of he, he a little didn't quite fit in, and it was a, it was a wedge world, and so we didn't give him wedge colors. Uh, and the idea is, once he goes through all the things and he kind of finds himself, ironically, he becomes a wedge creature, even though the world is no longer wedge. Um, and the idea is, he's messing with time, so that that's how the. I mean, he he already in the past had had red and green in him. Um, he gained some blue because he's messing with time. That he's. Blue's all about perfection. He was trying to perfect his world. Um, but anyway, there's also the idea that he really always identified with the teamer, and so in the end, he ends up sort of teamer colors, um, and 
there's a little bit of savagery to him, and, you know, uh, Sarkin sort of remade the world, and the world is, in a lot of ways, worse off, but Sarkin likes it better. Um, in the actual trope of the storytelling time, when the, the person who changes time comes back, usually they're unhappy with the world they changed to, that they made the world worse, and, and you know, it's like a tragedy. Um, the twist we had here is, Sarkin makes the world worse, except it isn't worse for him. He likes the dragons, and so... Um, Anyway, this was our card. We, we knew we were going to do one in the first set and one in the third set to sort of mirror each other. That, that was always the plan. Okay, next, Sarkin's Triumph. It's an instant that costs two and a red, so one, um, three, three total, but two, one of which is red. Um, it lets you search your library for a dragon card and then put it in your hand and then shuffle your library. Um, this card, its playtest name was Draconic Tutor. Um, there's those that got mad at us that we didn't keep that name. Um, if I was in charge of naming, it would have been called Draconic Tutor. Uh, I think that actually was a cutesy name that we could have kept, but um, I, I, I think they were trying to tie into Sarkin. Um, w- one of the things is um, there w- there's not lots of opportunities um, to make nice, clean, simple cards that tie into the character and Sarkin's main character, so I get it, I get it. Um, but just for those that, that have made the joke of Draconic Tutor, that was the playtest name, and um, uh, for a while might have been the... I don't know... Uh, it was always the playtest name, and I actually thought there was a good chance it might actually end up being the name. Okay, next, Savage Ventman, Ventmaw. Four red-green, so six mana, one of which is red, one of which is green, for a 4-4 four, four dragon. It is flying, and when it attacks, it adds RRR, red, 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 green, 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 to your um, mana pool, uh, and that mana doesn't go away till end of turn, so it doesn't clear through combat. Um, so this is a card that is a mana enabler, um, and it goes in the, in the clan that really wants to cast a lot of bigger creatures. Um, a Tarka or Teemer is the ferocious, formidable clan. They like having lots of things in play, especially a lot of big things in play. And so this just enables you to get out your dragon, and it just he enables you to play other big, giant things, which is what uh, Red Green likes to do. Next, Scale Blessing. Scale bla- Blessing is an instant. costs three and a white, so four mana total, one of which is white. You bolster one, and then you put a plus one, plus one counter on every creature that has a plus one, plus one counter. Um, so once again, one of the themes in um, Dromica uh, slash Abzan is plus one, plus one counters mattering. So this is a perfect example where I get a bolster. So at a bare minimum, it's bolster two, because obviously the thing I'm bolstering is going to get a counter. But if I have more things, if I've been doing other bolstering or outcasting or you know, just through other means... If I have other cards of plus and plus one counters, all of a sudden, this starts to reward them. For example, I talked about an E earlier that came into play with three plus and plus one, or two plus and plus one counters, and it can move them. So imagine you take this and you move it to a creature, and then you cast this, you bolster a third creature, then three creatures get boosted, you know? And that's just a combination of two cards plus another creature. So, okay, next, Scion of Ugon. Scion of Ugin. Six colorless mana, um, or, I'm sorry, six, I always confuse the two, six uh, generic mana, um, it's a 4-4 four, four Dragon Spirit. Uh, it is colorless, um, it's fly- and it's flying. Uh, so this is the card we made um, to be a common. This was the card the design made to say, we need a common dragon. If your theme's not a common, it's not your theme. We wanted a common dragon, we made a common dragon. We talked with Creative and figured out what we could do to have one singular dragon. We're like, okay, what if we make it... Uh, artif- we talked about making an artifact dragon, but that made no sense. There- there's not a lot of artifact dragons in the set. So we said, okay, instead of artifact, what if it's colorless, it's a spirit, it's a dragon spirit, 
or is it a dragon spirit? It's a dragon. I mean, it's one, it's one of Ugin's spawn sort of things. And so we're like, okay, it's tied to Ugin. Ugin's a colorless dragon. Uh, it's colorless so that we could only have one at common, but it helps the Azfan because any color could play it. Uh, and then it turned out to be a little bit too good, and it got moved up to uncommon in development. Um, not so happy about that. I mean, there are, there are a lot of cares about dragon things at common. Um, I just really wanted a creature-type dragon at common. Um, I was kind of sad to see this go. I, I actually wish it would have been massaged to maybe be slightly worse, but still been a common. Um, but anyway, they made, they made the choice to move it to uncommon. Um, I guess a choice to live with. So anyway, um, I am now at work. Um, actually, I, I, well, let me do a few more. I'm going I'm to finish off this page just because I, uh, I, well, I, I hmm. I'm trying to fit. One of the hard parts when I do multiple things is next time's going to be my last, last podcast and I'm already, I'm in the S's and I want to make sure that I leave enough cards for me to be able to finish off with. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, um, I'm going to finish off this. I, I have a few left to do. I'm going to quickly finish off this page. I didn't actually didn't have much traffic today. So I'm going to finish off this page today and then next time I'll, I'll start with, I'm, I'm not going to finish S. So I will, I will have uh, the rest of S to do. So let me quickly finish off this page. I'll, I only have a few cards left. So I will finish this off. Okay. Um, next. Secure the waste. XW, instant. Put X1, uh, X11 white warrior creature tokens on the battlefield. Um, so the funny thing about this card is it's just a token maker where it makes X tokens for X as an instant speed. We've never made this card. This is one of those cards that you make and you're like, you have to look in the file to make sure you hadn't made it, but we hadn't. So this is a pretty cool card. Um, and it really... Um, it's usable in all the strategies that have white. Um, Mardu's probably the one that uses it the best, but um, it also can be very defensive, like Abzan. Um, or Jeskai loves it because it's a creature maker that it's a non-creature spell. So anyway, all the, all, the white, uh, all the white clans like it. Next, self-inflicted wound. One black sorcery. So two mana, one of which is black. Uh, target opponent sacrifices a green or white creature, and if they do, they lose two life. This is the cycle of color hosers. What does black do is it makes... Uh, it makes white and green have to sacrifice creatures. There's some, there's some potent creatures in the metagame at the time that making them sacrifice. Was, that's why I think it's sacrifice rather than destroy. Um, I believe that there's some stuff they wanted to worry about in the metagame, and so they, they fine-tuned it in development to make sure it matched the metagame. Servant of the Scale. It's a, a, it's a human soldier. costs a single green for a 0-0, zero, zero, although it enters with a plus-one, plus-one counter, so really a 1-1. One, one. Uh, when it dies, you put X plus one plus one counters on target creature, each of the counters on this. So this is a little build me thing. It's like, okay, I'm a little one one. You could bolster me. You could you could help me with outlast. Oh no, I, I don't have outlast, but you can bolster me. Or there's other ways to stick plus one plus one counters on me. And then when I die, you get them all back. So this is a cutesy card of it wants plus one plus one counters, and then you can be aggressive with it because if it dies, you get to keep the counters to go, to go somewhere else. Okay, Shaman of the Forgotten Waste. Two in the green for two, three human Shaman. Tap at two mana of any combination, but you can only use it to cast creatures. And then it's got Formidable, nine green, green, 11 mana, two of which is green. Tap. Um, all players' lives become equal to the number of creatures they control. So this is a pretty potent card. Um, so this card, first of all, early, in the early game just helps you get things out because you can use mana to cast creatures. But in the late game, if you've done your job and played a lot of creatures and a board full of creatures, you get a reset life total to a number of creatures. So hopefully what happens is you get a reset. Hopefully you have a lot of creatures in play and you can reset it to a high number and your opponent has less and you get to reset it to a lower number. Finally, the last card of today, and then we'll, we'll continue on to next time. Uh, Shore Crasher Elemental. Blue, blue, blue for 3-3 three, three, Elemental. It's pretty good right there. 
uh, in a mono blue deck. Uh, for blue, you can exile it and return it to face down, so you can sort of save it, because if you exile it, anything that targets it will get lost, because it, it loses any targets when it goes away and comes back. So um, this allows you to save it, but in saving, you make it a two-creature. two, two creature. Uh, For one mana, you can give it plus one, minus one, or give it minus one, plus one, till end of turn. Uh, this is sort of what you use on shapeshifters. Uh, Morphling famously used this, so it makes things bigger or smaller. So um, it's a 3-3. Three, three. Um, you get to make it a 4-4 four, four if you me- it has Megamorph. So Megamorph for four and a blue. Um, so for five mana, one which is blue, you can Megamorph it. That way it's a 4-4. Four, four. If it's a 4-4, four, four, you can make it up to a 7-1 and down to a 1-7. So it, it can run, run the game, or up to actually a zero eight. You can go from a 7-1, you have to have at least one toughness or you die. A 7-1 up to a 0-8. Um, so depending if you have enough mana, you can really make a lot of different sizes. And as long as you have a single blue, if it ever is in danger of being destroyed, you can um, exile it, turning a face down to save it. Now, and then you have to megamorph it again, so you have to go through the cost of getting it back up. But it allows you to save it, so that's a pretty cool spell. Okay, guys, uh, it's pretty clear I have, I'm up to S. So uh, I, I believe I have one more podcast to talk about Dragon Circle here. So join me next time when I, will sh- I shall do so. But anyway, I am in my parking space, so we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. Instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.